have you ever experienced actual weather storms? Have you ever experienced that, that, that gigantic storm coming your way? I remember as a college student at George Fox, our soccer team went to the Nationals my junior and uh, uh, sophomore and junior year. And uh, when we went there, uh, the Nationals was held in Longview, Texas. And down in Texas, I guess everything's big as well as the storms are huge there too. And when we were in our uh, motel there uh, one night, uh, the storm was brewing and we heard thunder and lightning. We came outside our door and looked outside and sure enough, lightning was flashing all along. Just incredible. And thunder was just booming loud and deep. It was, uh, it was an interesting situation. Um, I've also witnessed uh, uh, storms in, in a windstorm where it's a strong, there were strong northerly winds that were coming up the Willamette Valley while we were in Salem, living there in Salem. And uh, uh, there was a moment where I was driving north on, on I-5 and I could tell that something strange was going on because you know, the winds were pushing from, uh, from the south up north. I was driving northbound. And normally when you drive 65 on I-5, you get a pretty good breeze going by your, your, your car. I rolled down my window uh, just to see what was going on and stuck my hand out. It was like I was standing still because the wind was coming following up with us. So very strange situation there. And of course, we've had our share of snowstorms and ice storms. Um, a 15-minute drive from North Clackamas Christian School back to our house took Becky two hours to get home on one of those ice storms. But what do you picture when you hear the term perfect storm? A perfect storm. Do you, do you envision a devastating hurricane? Do you envision a, a destructive tornado? Maybe even a raging forest fire, right? Uh, Steve Deneff, in his book, Frontline, excuse me, Fault Line, uh, he, he mentions a, a perfect storm like this. He, he describes it like this. It's the rare combination of atmospheric events that come together in perfect proportion and sequence to create a situation that is unprecedented and unmanageable. So it's, it's a situation where you have no control, you can't manage it, and it's coming your way. I, it reminds me of the derecho that came towards Iowa and went through them and, and Illinois this year, tore through them. Incredible uh, atmospheric event there. And also to the hurricanes and tropical depressions that have hit the Gulf Coast region, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida. And Louisiana is now going through another one, the Delta uh, hurricane. They've run out of, uh, out of names. They've had to go back now and use these. Anyway. These are all great examples of a perfect storm, but another kind of perfect storm is a crisis that threatens not only uh, your comfort, but also your faith. Uh, Steve uh, uh, comments in his book, he says, perfect storms are more than setbacks or obstacles. They're a confluence of events so overwhelming, so relentless, so terrifying that one of two things will come of them. They will make us better or they will make us worse. One thing is sure, we'll never be the same again. And he continues on, he says, a perfect storm is a kind of fault line. It's a crisis that comes either gradually or all at once and forever changes the landscape of our lives. It's a sudden jolt that knocks us off our feet and sends us scrambling for answers, for help, for something solid to stand on. And then he says, like a fault line, 
The perfect storm occurs when forces beyond our control converge in the right sequence to cause chaos that threatens to destroy us all. He mentions in his book that there are six forces that come together in a crisis, and each made worse when combined with the others. All by itself, it's not that bad, but then they combine together and cause this crisis to be even worse. There's expectation. That's one force that comes together in a crisis. Uh, the expectation of having a general optimism uh, that we have for basically life overall. You wake up in the morning, you expect to see the sun, right? You, you get up and you're, you expect to be able to move around without too many aches and pains. You, um, you, you go on with your day expecting it to be a good day. So expectation. Then there's a, another force in crisis called faith. Faith. Believing that God is good and he wants to protect the normal. Uh, Steve Neff says in his book, he says, we, we want things that are not necessarily wrong, but could never make us happy. And when we lose these things, we think faith is the way to get them back. If we are honest with ourselves, we know that in a crisis, our faith is often the belief that we will get back what we once considered normal. The power of a crisis is that it loosens our grip on these things and prepares us to receive something more. Faith, that, that normal, you know, believing God is good and he wants to protect that normal in our life. Then there's a, a third force that comes together in a crisis. It's loss, loss. There's a tangible loss and there's an intangible loss. And uh, the, the tangible loss would be that first loss. For, for example, like the loss of a home in a forest fire. In wildfires, you've lost your home and your possessions that are there. The intangible or the second loss in this would be the emotional stress or the anxiety that, that rears its head up as now you have to deal with all the repercussions of this loss of the home. And so there, there, there's the question of what now? So you have the first loss and then the second loss. Um, Steve says that almost every loss is connected to other losses and usually the hardest ones are internal. So it's that, that second loss, that intangible, that's internal that's usually the hardest ones to deal with. Then a fourth uh, force that comes in play in a crisis is uh, futility. Futility. The helplessness we, we feel when our efforts don't work. The sense that we are losing control. It, control is usually lost, so maybe all at once at times, or is it um, piece by piece? So control can be lost all at once or piece by piece gradually. I think of my mother's stroke 10 years ago when she had that. <clears throat> and when she lost, uh, uh, lost control of things, it was a piece by piece thing. She was talking coherently and, and just fine when we got there to the, <clears throat> excuse me, to the hospital there in Lincoln City. And then uh, uh, throughout the day, uh, the next day, she was slowly, gradually losing control of all those things. And it was kind of futile, futile to have her be able to move uh, like she wanted to or even speak like she wanted to. Uh, she was losing all control of things. Mark Durkoop and his stroke was kind of an all-at-once all thing. Uh, yes, it was a little gradual, but <clears throat> it was an all-at-once thing where he also, too, lost uh, quite, a, quite a bit of control there. And when we lose control, then we feel that there's chaos all around. 
Steve Deneff says in his book, if we, are, we were honest with ourselves, we would know that the hardest thing to deal with is not the loss itself, but the feeling that we are not in control. And then there's a fifth force that comes in with a crisis. That's fate. It's fate. It occurs when the future collides with the present. When we realize that the things are going to be this way from now on. It's basically the new normal. And you've all probably been dealing with that this year since COVID-19 has hit. The new normal. <clears throat> Steve said, he describes it this way. He says, whenever something goes wrong, our expectations and our faith, the normal and the good, convince us that somehow everything will be all right. The more tenaciously we hold to our normal and good, the harder it is to reconcile with the future that is fast becoming clear. Finally, finally, there is a moment, even in a crisis that mounts gradually, when it first occurs to us that things will not end the way we had hoped. This is often the time when we quit, because if we cannot control how things will end, then at least we'll control when they will end. They will end when we say so. So we have a, a, that, the force of fate coming in, and, and it, it overwhelms us. And combine that with all the other things of forces here, and, and we have a, an overwhelming situation. But then there's a sixth uh, force that comes in during a crisis, and it's the collateral damage. It's collateral damage. Uh, it's all the other things that get adjusted by this crisis. But we're not, these things were not part of the crisis in the first place. The details, uh, basically, that complicate the crisis and make it worse. Uh, go back to the example of the lost house in a wildfire. You have a loss of a, of a, a house, a home, the structure, and everything else. Then there's the insurance to deal with and going through the adjusters and how that's going to be uh, all taken care of. Then you have to go through the replacing of items and credit cards and any other possessions that need to be replaced, contacting people about uh, the, the, the change in your card, your credit cards and a driver's license if that was there. All those documents, everything else, it's because of a loss of a house. It's a collateral damage that comes along with it. Uh, and Steve says that a crisis is that, that, that convergence of many things, all these different forces coming together, each one of them is, is intensified by the other. And one of them alone is not going to harm you as much as all of them coming together, thrown into that crisis. Uh, it becomes devastating. But several of these elements um, are also referred to in uh, uh, chapter 27 of Acts, which we're going to be going to today. It's about that shipwreck story that Paul's involved with. Uh, you've got all these different elements, though, of a crisis that come together. And a perfect storm struck the Apostle Paul and everyone on the ship that was uh, transporting him to Italy, he, where, where he was to be arraigned. And uh, we're going to look at this and observe a few similarities between that perfect storm and the one you may experience or are already experiencing. The story can be found in Acts chapter 27, starting with verse 13, going all the way through verse 44. But instead of reading all those verses to you right now, I'm just going to summarize them, and you can kind of follow along in, in your Bible about it. So the Apostle Paul was, was aboard a ship when a horrendous storm engulfed it, and it created a crisis of incredible magnitude. The sailors tried to secure the ship by tying ropes around it, but their efforts failed, so they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. 
And finally, when nothing worked, they abandoned all hope of making it safely to shore. In the middle of this terrifying situation, when all expectations of survival uh, faded, Paul addressed the crew. He told them to be courageous. Although the ship would be lost, God would spare the lives of all on board. He testified that he believed everyone would survive because God had told him so. By the way, faith in, in, in what God has promised is a priceless treasure in the middle of any storm that, that comes beating down upon your life. That faith in what God has promised, that's what we need to be clinging on to. Paul gave one condition for survival. He said everyone had to stay with the ship. And often when a crisis strikes us, that's not the first thing we, we think of, staying with the ship. Our first thought is to escape, get out. But we learn valuable lessons by staying in the crisis until God ends it. It might not be your, your first choice. You might not want to stay there. But God has some valuable lessons within that storm that we can learn. When the ship broke apart, everyone on board grabbed parts of the debris and floated safely to shore. So let me start here uh, with uh, three things about uh, a perfect storm. Let me share three things about a perfect storm in our lives. And then after that, uh, four things, four things that we need to know in order to weather a perfect storm. So three things, three things about a perfect storm. Uh, found here, of course, in our scripture that we are looking at today. <clears throat> First of all, the perfect storm <laughs> is unexpected. No one ever expects a perfect storm. In, verses 13, uh, in verse 13, it comes when conditions are favorable. A perfect storm comes when conditions are favorable. Have you noticed that hurricanes often approach a coastline when many people are vacationing <laughs> and the beaches are crowded? If it were not for advance warning, the loss of life would be staggering. And in the same way, when we are sailing along smoothly, a big crisis strikes us. It hits us. It blindsides us. We don't see it coming. But because we have no advance warning, the crisis takes us by surprise, and we are unprepared. Conditions on the Adriatic Sea with Paul were favorable. A gentle south wind was blowing. So the sailors transporting Paul and the other prisoners weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. What could possibly go wrong, right? <clears throat> and then, uh, and we find in verses 14 and 15, that a perfect storm strikes with fury. A perfect storm strikes with fury. A vicious typhoon arose suddenly and buffeted the ship that was carrying Paul, verse 14. <clears throat> and it swept the ship along its turbulent path in spite of the crew's efforts to avoid it, in verse uh, 15. So we see this whole event coming along and, and, and playing out before us here in, in Scripture. But have you felt that, that, that fury of a perfect storm? You, you, you may have felt helplessly locked in its grip as it swept you along. You had no way of knowing what was up or down. Um, most of us feel helpless in a perfect storm, don't we? In this situation here, with the, the storm coming upon the ship, they felt helpless as well. The other thing we can see here in verses 16 through 20 is that a perfect storm may cause despair. A perfect storm may cause despair. Uh, verses 16 through 19 show that our actions may prove useless. 
the frantic sailors could hardly secure the lifeboat. They tied ropes around the ship to keep it from breaking apart. They dropped anchor. They tossed the cargo overboard. They jettisoned the, the ship's tackle. Nothing. None of these things were working. You know, a perfect storm crisis is really too big and too difficult for us to handle in our own strength and wisdom. There's something that we we just we cannot deal with these perfect storms on our own. We are helpless. Have you felt helpless uh, when you sent uh, maybe a dozen resumes for a job uh, opportunity? You, you just can't find a job. Have you felt helpless in the grip of a relentless illness when the doctors, medications, and treatments fail? Have you felt helpless when uh, your spouse is, is right there going through a difficult situation, it might be illness, whatever it is, and you feel helpless because you can't do anything about it for them. And they're going through this and you're going through this together. Those storms that hit us, those perfect storms that hit us so hard, there's nothing that we can do about it. And we just stand there feeling numb and helpless. In verse 20, we see too that our hope may vanish. Our hope may vanish. As the storm raged and the sailors' efforts to survive failed, they abandoned all hope of being saved. And like the sailors, we may despair when a crisis defies our efforts to survive it. We're trying to struggle to get through it, and we're, we're, we're thinking there, there's no hope. We've been going through it. It's been days, it's been weeks, it's been months, and there's no hope. We've been going through this coronavirus for quite a while, is it ever going to end? And you might be losing hope. We may lose hope in those situations, but God often puts his arms around us when we reach the end of our rope. God is there for us, as we see in verses 21 through 44, where the, the, the perfect storm tests our faith. The perfect storm tests our faith. Verses 21 through 26 shows that a strong faith will weather the perfect storm. A strong faith will weather the perfect storm. Paul told the sailors he had received a promise from God that no lives would be lost. And he said he believed God. After encouraging the men, he said they would run aground on an island. This is where faith meets a crisis head on. It it comes in collision with that crisis. It may not end it, but it gives us the, the, the courage to see it through to the end. And that faith that we need in a crisis isn't something that is developed in that crisis only. A strong faith is developed during the calm times, during the times in between those storms. A strong faith is developed outside of those storms to anticipate what those storms are going to be doing. And you bring that strong faith into those storms of life that come beating down on you. That's where that faith then meets those crises head on. And like I mentioned, it may not end it, but it gives us the courage to see it through to the end. The question comes to us is, are we developing that strong faith on the calm times? on the in-between, the storm times. We need to be developing that faith in God 
strengthening that faith, our trust in him. Because when those storms come and beat on our door, we, we better be ready with that strong faith. And then in verses 27 through 44, we see that a strong faith is rewarded. Although the storm blasted the ship apart, all 276 men on board escaped to dry land. They floated on planks and other parts of the ship as well. God honors the faith we place in his promises. There are all those promises in his word. As you come across them, note them and remember them. And as we as we go through those situations and believe what God is going to do through his promises, then God honors those. God, God honors that faith. If we look only at the storm, we're going to be distressed. But if we trust in God and trust in his word, we will be at rest. After the storm, he will reward our faith. The crisis is that perfect storm in our lives, and it's also that fault line. It's a place where things will either get better or either get worse. It, 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 our view of God changes in those crisis moments, in the perfect storm moments. We gain a new vision of God that makes him closer, or we, that vision of God makes him further from our world. We are seen as more precious to God than ever imagined or more insignificant to his world than ever feared. We, we believe God is with us or wonder if he is against us. Our view of God changes in those storms. And as a result as well of those crises, our view of life changes as well. We become wiser and softer and more humane or we become angry, calloused, indifferent, more removed from humanity. We become humble and quieter or more dogmatic and loud. We, we become more aware of the eternal or we hold tenaciously to what's left. We, we move gradually toward things unseen, hold loosely to what little we possess in this world, or... Because of these storms and because of these crises, we become paranoid, possessive of each little thing that, that time will strip away from our hands. We either become better or we get worse. And it all depends upon the question we ask within that storm. Usually the common question that's asked in, asked in a crisis is the question, why? Why God? Why is this happening to me? Why is God allowing this to happen? You know, to understand is a form of, of regaining some kind of control. Our life is chaotic because of this perfect storm in our life, and we want to gain control somehow. So we ask why. We want to understand. But the problem with that question is that the answer never satisfies. We still say, well, but why? Because we aren't satisfied with the question, or with the answer to our question. Steve says in his book, people who keep asking why get stuck. <laughs> they never change anything because they are always only trying to understand. There's no, no transformation going on. 
instead of asking why, and, and that's okay if it happens, that's human, but instead of asking why, a better question to ask in a crisis is, what do I truly believe? What do I truly believe? Do I really believe what I was told during the calm times? Do I truly believe in the authority of things I have heard but not yet seen? Do I believe in the other reality that God has placed before us? If you do, once the storm passes, you will emerge with a heightened awareness of the unseen. You will have a better capacity to hear the voice of God. First, though, you must believe what you were told in the scriptures. Then there are, let me share with you uh, the need, the four ways here of, of getting ourselves ready for these crises. You know, we all need to be fault line ready, basically. Like those buildings that have been retrofitted with earthquake proof in some way to survive earthquakes. Um, we need to retrofit our lives in a way where we will be ready in case of that fault line that, that seems to move in our lives. That crisis, that, that perfect storm that comes. So here are some, here are some, some truths to keep in mind during those storms. And, and these truths can be found in Steve's book as well. But here's some truths to, to keep in mind. One of them is we will lose something, but we will not lose everything. We will lose something, but we will not lose everything. Remember back in verse 22 of Acts 27, that's the storm that hit that ship that Paul was on. In verse 22, uh, says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage, Paul is telling the men, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. So we will lose something, but we won't lose everything. Every storm takes something away from our normal, doesn't it? Storms come our way, and what we thought was normal now becomes a little abnormal. <laughs> the, the, that storm has changed our normal in a way, and now we have a new normal. And you know, it was never God's plan to protect our expectations, our, our expectations of what is normal. Never was God's plan. He always seems to remove us from those, those things that will keep us in a rut. And he wants us to teach us. He wants to teach us some things. We will lose something, but we will not lose everything. Another thing to keep in mind during the storms is that God may not rescue us, but he will always cover us. He will always protect us. Acts 27, verses 25 through 26, um, again, Paul's instructing these men. He says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So God may not always protect or always rescue us from the situation, but he will always cover us. No matter what happens, God will be with us. I'm reminded of a story back in Daniel chapter 3, the three Hebrew young, young men that went up against Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, and they needed to bow down before Nebuchadnezzar when certain things happened. 
but they chose not to. And, and so if those people who did not bow down before Nebuchadnezzar, they were to be thrown into the furnace and to be uh, cooked to death. So in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, as well as verse 25, we, we see this account. It says, in these three Hebrew young men are saying, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and, and he will rescue us from your hand, O, o king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. He said, look, in verse 25, look, after you throw them in the furnace, and as he's looking in there, he says, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. God will be with us through those difficulties. He may not rescue us, but he will always cover us in those perfect storms. Steve Deneff says in his book, he says, Too often we ask for things God never intended to give us in the first place, not because they are wrong, but because they are so much less than what he intends for us. He comes to us in the storm and bids us to walk on the water. This is so much more than we ever imagined for ourselves, and so we settle for asking him to simply calm the storm. We ask him to make it easier when he wants to make us strong. We, we must remember that God alone knows what is good and that he is in charge and will do whatever he pleases. This may not always match our idea of normal, but if God is in it, then the storm is the safest place to be. And that is so true. A third thing we need to consider, we need to think about when we're in these storms is that unless we stay in the storm, we cannot be saved. Unless we stay in the storm, we cannot be saved. Verse 31 of the account of, of, of that shipwreck, then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So he was making sure that was what it was God's instructions. Keep the men on the ship. Keep them there. Otherwise, they'll be lost. We must believe that what God is doing in us or for us is not in spite of the storm, but because of it. It's like that, that father at that crosswalk, getting ready to cross with his little boy, four or five-year-old boy walking along. And what he sees, what the father sees, is a car coming through, not paying attention to the red light. And the little boy doesn't see it. And so the father holds him back and says, no, 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 stay with me. And maybe the little boy's going, no, I want to move forward. Look where we're going. That father sees the danger ahead, keeps him with him in that moment until it's safe. If that boy were to go on his own, he would have been hit by that car, right? In the same way, we must believe what God is doing in us and for us, not not in spite of the storm, but because of it, through those storms. A fourth thing to keep in mind when we're in those storms is that when the storm is over, we'll believe fewer things, but we'll believe them more. We'll believe fewer things, but we'll believe them more. In verse 44 of the account of uh, that, that whole shipwreck, it says, The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship, in this way, everyone reached land in safety. 
There's a metaphor there that uh, Steve Deneff uh, points out. A metaphor for the way the storms cause us to unload our convictions and biases, um, throwing them overboard like cargo and cling to whatever is left of our beliefs. That's what storms do. They rattle us. They shake our lives up. And the things that don't matter to us are thrown overboard. And the things that do, we cling to. Whatever is left gets us safely to shore. I believe God uses those storms. It seems to, to, to peel away those, those non-essentials in our lives. The things maybe that we, we believed in, that we maybe should not be believing in, that we cling to, that we should let go of. He uses those storms to peel away the non-essentials to get us to embrace the essentials in life. Those things that really matter. And we cannot uh, keep crisis from, from coming to our door. It's going to happen. But we can trust God to sustain us in them and bring us victoriously through them because God never fails. Maybe you know someone who is in a storm and as going through this time here together, you probably have thought of a few names, a few names come across your mind um, that you're thinking of right now. They're going through a, a difficult time in their life. Man, they need to hear this. Maybe I can help them out. Let me give you some advice about helping them out. Um, be careful because, you know, you're, you're armed with all this now and you're ready to go and you can help them out. Uh, try not to fix them. <laughs> try not to fix them in a storm. Don't offer unsolicited advice like, like Job's friends did in his situation. Probably the best thing to do is simply to listen and pray. Listen and pray. Believe in them. Bring them to Jesus. Like those, those friends brought, brought that uh, paralytic to Jesus from the roof and brought him down in that, on that mat right before Jesus. Bring those people to Jesus as well. Remind, the, remind the, that, that friend, that person, of a few unshakable things, maybe that they already know, just remind them. They probably have let go of those things within their perfect storm going on in their life. And let, and let it be at that. But the main thing, you know, listen and pray for them. You know, maybe, maybe it's you who's in a storm right now. Maybe you're going through that perfect storm and life just seems to be chaotic to no end. Let me ask you, are you asking God why? Or are you asking yourself, what do I truly believe? It's, it's human nature to, you know, to ask why, obviously. But what do you truly believe? Are you able to stay in the storm where God wants you and believe what you were told in the calm times? It reminds me of a saying that, that I shared with you before. Uh, don't doubt in darkness what God has revealed in the light. <laughs> don't doubt in the storm what God has revealed in the calmness. Cling to those promises. Be reminded of what God has taught you. And anticipate what he's teaching you in this storm. Let me conclude with one last thing Steve Deneff says in his book. He says, to believe in things that have not yet happened, to speak of things that are not as though they were, requires a faith that goes deep into our inner core. It is informed, but optimistic, firm, but flexible, 
It absorbs the blows. It steadies us. And when the storm finally passes, it always does. It leaves a depth and a richness that cannot be had except by those who have weathered the perfect storm. How are you doing in your perfect storm? Let me remind you that God is with you and be reminded of what is true. As you go through that perfect storm, have faith. Be encouraged. Not only is God with you, but there's those around you that are praying for you and want to come alongside you in this storm and help you through it. But look for those lessons. Look for those things that God is teaching you. And don't, don't waste that perfect storm. Be able to hear what God is, is speaking to you in your heart. Well, let me pray for you all. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would continue to be with us all as we go through these days. And Lord, some of us are going through those perfect storms right now, the crisis in our, moment, in our lives, that crisis moment. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that we need to cling to you in those situations and be reminded of what is really true. Not, not to ask and, and ask for uh, the why question, trying to figure things out. But what do we know that is true? And help us, Lord, to cling to that. Help us, Lord, to cling to your promises. Help us, Lord, to have our, our, our eyes wide open, ready to learn from you in these perfect storms. And Lord, thank you for how you've prepared us already for these things. Help us not, not to forget that. <laughs> help us to fall back on those things that you've taught us. So Lord, I pray that you be with those people who are going through difficulties right now. And Lord, that you'd strengthen them, that you'd give them courage, that you'd give them comfort and your peace through these diff difficult times. And help us, Lord, as friends to come alongside to be praying, and to, to, to be there for them. Lord, thank you that we don't have to weather this storm alone. You are with us, and you send people who love you to be with us too. Lord, thank you that you give us what we need in those perfect storms. Help us, Lord, to weather them and be ready to get out on the other side of them better than we were. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd uh, be with us now as we go on our way today and through the week ahead. Help us, Lord, to trust in you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.